0: Sorry, I, I just fell off my chair. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to start that whole thing again.
1: Hello and welcome to the Super Byron podcast. Bayern Munich started out the new year in less than ideal fashion, but they've since turned things around with a run of four consecutive wins. But are the results fair given Bayern's level of play, or are they merely masking flaws that definitely still exist at the club? Well, I'm Benjamin Sky, and I'm here to talk about that, as well as brief- briefly discuss some potential transfer moves with the club with my friends Tim Richards
0: Hello there.
1: and Sebastian Zimmerman. Hi. Well, like I said, Bayern Munich have uh, turned... The, the new year around a little bit to an extent, um after taking back-to-back losses in the DFB Pokal and also in the Bundesliga, Bayern have managed to put together four consecutive wins since their loss to Holstein Kiel, uh, even keeping two clean sheets in that time. So um, just looking you know, at the results on paper, it definitely seems like the Bavarians are taking a step uh, in the right direction. Um, but uh, Sebastian, we'll go ahead and I'll, I'll come to you first. Is that actually the case? Do you think Bayern really are trending uh, in the right direction after a pretty significant uh, dip in form, or you know, has have the results really just painted a better picture than um, what we should really be seeing out of Bayern due to maybe a lack of real competition or you know some potentially lucky results? What's going on with Bayern right now? I would say uh,
2: trending in the right direction is definitely accurate here. Uh, the real question is, is it enough already? I guess this is really what we could, uh, argue about here. There can definitely be different, different opinions on that. I think some of the things we have been, uh, we have been talking about have been kind of resolved. There are some things that are definitely better than they were a couple of weeks ago. Um, for example, uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, Alfonso Davies is, Uh, Getting, getting into form again, which is, which is a good thing, of course. Pavard is kind of finding his form, maybe. This is definitely good. I think, uh, Joshua Kimmich and Thomas Müller are just as good as anyone can hope any football player can be right now. They are just brilliant at the moment, I feel. Uh, I also think that Sane is kind of uh, finding his role. Uh, and I think Gnabry is looking better than than he was before because we have talked about this before too. Gnabry is just an on and off kind of guy. He's going to be brilliant and is going to score four goals in one game or something like that. And then he's going to have his off days kind of. So these are definitely things that are good and, well, that that we can build on right now. But we also, I feel, need to build on them. Because we cannot, for example, we can probably not expect Knabri to 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 be uh, at top forum all of the time. For example, as as I as I just mentioned, he's just that kind of guy who's going to have his off days again at some point. So we should not rely on that too much, for example. And yeah, there are other things that have not been uh, resolved. Uh, so I can say I'm confident now about them. The most important thing there would, would still be uh, our center backs. I still don't think this is uh, what we should do. This ha- has looked kind of shaky, even in those two last games, which were pretty good. I feel, uh, especially Boateng being left alone as the, the last guy who's basically responsible of, uh, uh, the offside trap, making this work or not, or taking this, this these decisions uh, when we really have to rely on him. Not great. Still, still not a fan of that, and I think there's still work to do with that, for example. And yeah, other things probably also trending in the right direction. We are, I think, we're co- going to talk about Mark Roker, uh, in a bit, for example. So yeah, my bottom line here would be, yeah, some things are going in the right direction, but we cannot get complacent right now. We need to make sure that this is this becomes sustainable. That yeah, we are we are going in the right direction in the long term, and this is just not a given yet.
1: Yeah, you're definitely right there. One of the next questions I was going to ask is, you know, who uh, has kind of been the most inspiring over, you know, the past four games in, in these wins for Bayern and kind of uh, turning things around in as much as they have been turned around. But you already addressed that, Sebastian. You, you name-dropped uh, both Thomas Müller and josua Kimmich uh, saying that they're playing... About as anyone you know, about as good as anyone in the world could you know hope to play right now, and I definitely think uh, you're spot on. And I'll throw another name in there. I, I, I'm not totally surprised you left him out. I think Robert Lewandowski is another one that you can throw in there. I think between Lewandowski and Mueller, especially their combination, uh, but then also Jussi also Kimmich, Bayern have three players at least, and you could probably even throw Manuel Neuer in there. You know, maybe throw in some other names, but. Three players who are at the very top of their game, um, in their you know, at the very top of uh, their careers, really, the best that they've ever played. And so, um, if anyone's really dragging by and through right now, those three are the ones I look to. Um, you also have Kimmich against Shaka, which, you know, we do have to throw the caveat in there, it is against Shaka, but he played uh, almost literally a perfect game in central midfield. Um, and so you really can't ask for more out of him you know we're used to Thomas Muller Robert Lewandowski they those two are very big names in this team uh, and in the past year or two Josko Kimmich has risen up to that as well and i just think that him stepping up right now in a time where Bayern really need players to step up just kind of shows that he very much is uh, the real deal and if it wasn't for a certain Kevin De Bruyne and maybe even if or maybe even you know in spite of Kevin De Bruyne Josko uh, Kimic's definitely the, the best midfielder in the world, he's definitely the best deeper um, lying midfielder in the world, and so that's definitely been uh, inspiring to see. But um, Tim, you are obviously a little bit more critical of Hansi Flick, I think, than than most of us on here. Maybe it has to do a little bit with him taking over after uh, Nico Kovac. But I want to get your thoughts on on the situation at hand. Um, how have you felt about Bayern's recent performances? Do you also think things are at least moving? Uh, in the right direction and, you know, address that. And then we'll talk about some of the more specifics going on.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's certainly important to get these wins. I think that's kind of always been the difference between like uh, a a good club and a great club is that the great clubs can always manage a win. Um, Like even when they're up against it, Bayern is still managing to get three points. It does really seem like they are almost going out of their way at times to make it harder for themselves so I think uh the game against um the game against Hoffenheim is a, a very good example of how there are still some habits that just haven't been uh that haven't been uh ridden of yet. So I think uh, uh the example that I kind of want to highlight is, you know, conceding almost immediately after scoring. Like I think if we look at uh, the Schalke game from the start of the um, from the start of the season all the way back in Whenever I don't know, time doesn't really mean anything at this (laughs) point. But whenever the first, uh, whenever the first Bundesliga game was against Schalke, this was a team that just kept on going. Like they started scoring and they didn't finish, and they didn't even let Schalke have like any opportunity to uh, to breathe. Or I, I think actually that's that's not entirely true. There's a kind of a a brief scare like right at the beginning. But the way that Bayern are playing against Hoffenheim yesterday, um, or whenever it was, depending on when people are listening to this, it was kind of a, a very good start. But there are still a number of issues that um, that have remained for for quite a while. So I think, as I said, kind of like that drop in concentration, like immediately after scoring, or um, I think they almost scored um, immediately after half time as well, and that's kind that's been something that's been plaguing Bayern for quite a while. Their uh, their goal came from an attack down the right flank and then a ball into the box. That's happened at least three or four times uh, this season with Bayern just being caught out quite easily. Um, I I don't know. I think it's I think it's good, but I think at the same time it shouldn't be a case of like oh yeah we're definitely going to beat Lazio like oh we're gonna we're gonna like storm the um like storm the entire Champions League like we're gonna. Like beat every single team is going to be great, and we're going to win the Bundesliga undefeated from now until the end. Like, you know that may happen, but I think this was only a couple of weeks ago when Bayern played Schalke, or, or, or like last week, whenever it was when Bayern played Schalke, it was only two 0 until like the eighty eighth minute. And yeah, Bayern were in control, but it also showed that they weren't you know taking as many like they weren't capitalising on as many chances as they perhaps should do against you know that team that you kind of gave the caveat of well it was Schalke but still I think it is so important to think against a team like that okay maybe if you don't win 8-0 you still need to be putting goal after goal against these guys and then even further back teams like Augsburg and teams like Freiburg and then also like the Holston kill game that was only a couple of weeks ago so I don't think that we can look at, you know, four goals against Schalke, four goals against Hoffenheim and think, oh, this yeah, it's great. Like that that's in the past. It wasn't. That was two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago that Bayern got knocked out of the cup in fairly embarrassing fashion against the team from from the division below. So while the last four games have been good, the next four games need to be good. And the four after that, and so on and so on. I don't think that this really I, I think like Hoffenheim haven't been great. Schalke haven't been great. Augsburg, Freiburg, okay. I think they're like historically teams that can potentially cause a bit of an upset, as, as can Hoffenheim as well. These are like lower to mid table, um, or mid to lower mid, and as low as 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 you can get uh, table teams in the form of Schalke quite frankly, I don't think that I've seen enough to be like, yeah, this is great. Like, we're back again. I think there's there's glimpses, but there is still work to do.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're spot on as well. I mean, trending in the right direction is probably a good phrase, but you, know, you, you also get the feeling that you don't want to get ahead of yourself because it could, um, I guess, turn around uh, at any moment. I guess what I'm kind of most thankful for is that we've got uh, Hertha Berlin coming up next in the Bundesliga. Armenia Bielefeld, also the Club World Cup is coming up soon, and so we still do have more. I guess I kind of call them buffer games to get us back on track to, um, you know, games that on paper Bayern should win very easily. Even on track Frankfurt uh, on on February twentieth is a game that, yeah, it will be a little bit difficult for Bayern, but it's still not you know a top team, and so we do have these games to kind of get back on track before. Uh, the one you talked about, Lazio, the Champions League game coming up at the end of February. So I guess thankful that there's some games that we can, you know, hopefully trending in the right direction um, continues until we're fully, fully back on track. Uh, Something that, um, you know, we've been talking about a lot recently on this podcast, I'm actually going to come back to you, Tim, because this tends to be one of your big points of interest is, is what's going on at right back at Bayern Munich. Um, I think it's You know, beyond obvious right now that Bounassar is not Bayern quality at right back and there's not really much potential that he'll be um, or he doesn't really have the potential to develop given that he's in the latter stages of his career already. And uh, Benjamin Pavard has been a little bit disappointing uh, this year, although I would say, you know, yesterday maybe he looked a little bit better than usual. But one thing that we saw, um, I believe it was against Schalke, was Niklas Sula playing right back. And so I do want to talk about that for a second. Um, What do you make of Hansi Flick? First of all, of Hansi Flick playing Niklas Sula at right back, uh, leaving both Pavard and Bounassar on the bench. And, um, you know, do you think that's even sort of a realistic option uh, going forward?
0: Yeah, I I think um, that's a really, that's a very interesting thing that we've seen. Because Nicolas Sula is the sort of guy that you want right in the middle, essentially bullying players off of the ball, like using his using his strength, using his height, and and also his speed as well. He is he is very quick, which I guess is probably why he is seen as something of an option at right back. I think the way that he played against um, the way that he played as a right back against Schalke was fine. They kept a clean sheet. He he was actually very good going forward. He was. It was kind of, um, one of my favourite things about Mats Hummels was when he would just carry the ball through a midfield and would then lay it off to an attacker. And that's the sort of thing that I that I think we saw with Nicolas Sula. He's actually very good with the ball at his feet. You know, he's maybe not the most beautiful footballer to look at, but I think he, he can certainly do something there. But at, at the same time, it would be disingenuous for me to say, like, oh, I don't want Pavard at right back because he's not the way that a right back should be in my eyes. And then I look at Sula and think, "Ah, oh, this is more likely. This is exactly <laughs> what I'm looking for. I, it just that is that would just be wrong. Um, but I, I liked Nicolas Sula at right back. I thought Pavard yesterday was was fine. But at the same time, it kind of goes back to that issue of, OK, they're good now. But very recently they weren't. So can they keep it up? In an ideal world, okay. Well, in an ideal world, I'd like to see what Chris Richards can do, because if he and I I imagine that we'll talk about him uh, in in a little bit, but I would like to see what he can do as a right back if he can have that attacking prowess that Kimmich has, and if and if he can also bring in that sort of defensive stability, which in theory he should do because he is naturally a centre back. I was disappointed to not see him yesterday. but, I, you know, it's it's one of those things, like maybe if, if Mark Rocker didn't get booked, then he wouldn't have come off and then maybe Chris Richards would have been given an opportunity. Who knows? But I think at the right back position, I still want somebody that is a right back, not somebody that can fill in there. Like, because I, I think I've said this before, that you know, Benjamin Pavard is essentially filling in at right back throughout most of his entire career at Bayern. And even even in the French national team, there are still a number of players that are, you know, would be considered a natural right back ahead of Benjamin Pavard, but because of the way that they play, um, it kind of, it makes sense in that, in, in that capacity. I don't know who that person would be because again, that kind of seems a bit disingenuous because Joshua Kimmich isn't a right back. He just happens to be very, very good at it. And I think that's kind of the, one of the big plus signs for Benjamin Pavard is that he isn't a right back, but he can play as one. Um, yeah I I think I I don't think there's necessarily anything anything wrong at the moment I'd quite like to see you know a different approach in in Europe because I think the way that Lazio are going to play is going to expose any form of defensive frailties that we have out wide and I don't know if that means we put Benjamin Pavard out wide and just say stay here as like a far right sided center back or if you have Josu Kimmich and, and do what he does there i don't know it's that's not that's not for me to decide
2: sorry i thought you were finished um i just have a little little question there what would you think uh, about having another kind of converted w- winger on the right side uh because we have done very well for ourselves with a converted winger uh, on our left side basically would you think that would be too aggressive could could we could we uh could could we do that would, would that be a good idea or a bad idea if we had a player like that which I don't think we have on
1: the squad I was either, about to but. say I was gonna my question was gonna be then for use fashion. like who are you suggesting like I mean I, I I could maybe see potentially see Serge Gnabry fill in there I think he's yeah he's got the physicality exactly the and um I forget which I think and, it might have been Schalke like he made a couple pretty good sliding tackles I think he could do it and if I'm not mistaken, he played a wingback sort of role against Hoffenheim. But um, I guess my argument against that is that he's such a clinical finisher and such a and a like um a direct attacker that he's not someone you want to remove from from the uh, from the forward line. I would have to say I do think that ideally we just Benjamin Pavard just gets back on track. And um, I was going to mention I think you know Sebastian, you had said this earlier, Alfonso Davies. Uh, has been has been playing very well in the games he's played and I don't think that um you can really overstate, you know, we've talked about this a couple of episodes ago his importance to the back line. Uh, he adds a lot um or he makes the the job of the center backs a little bit easier and I also think that having Davies on one side lends itself naturally to putting Pavard on the other and I think that uh in a weird way Pavard really can't can't play the same uh can't play to the level that we saw out of him recently if it's you know David Oliva or Lucas Hernandez on the opposite side but when you throw in Alfonso Davies I think he has a little bit more freedom um, to go forward but also he can stay back if he needs to and I think it suits his style of play um, a little bit more so yeah I was very very happy with what I saw out of Pavard yesterday and I think it showed when he scored a goal Uh, I really wish that would have stood because you could see as he celebrated that there was just this kind of his burden being lifted off of him. Uh, but I do hope that that, you know, one performance encourages him and inspires him to play more and more. All that being said, the sooner we can get a better either backup or option, that's not named Bunasar to go there, uh the better because Pavard is great, but you you know, we we still want a more like Sebastian you were hinting at, potentially better attacking minded fullback to go there um, as well. So I didn't mean, mean to jump in too much. Uh, but that, those are just kind of my two cents on the whole situation there. If we're not going to, you know, move Kimmich back. Um, but, and, and if we aren't going to move Kimmich back, that kind of leads us into the next talking point that I want to address. And uh, that's Mark Roca finally got to start a Bundesliga game yesterday against Hoffenheim. You know, Leon Goretzka has contracted COVID-19. Uh, Conantiliso is out as well. And so, you know, Sebastian, I believe that was the first Bundesliga start um, the first Bundesliga start for for Mark Roca, Play, playing alongside yosa Kimmich in midfield. You know how did he look? Is, is um, this is kind of our first real real look at him in the Bundesliga? Do you think he's a a, a realistic you know starting option in midfield? You know whether that's partnered with yosa Kimmich or Leon Goretzka?
2: Well, going by that one game, definitely yes. Uh, I I think he did everything I, I wanted wanted him to do. Uh, he reminded me a bit of. Uh, Adrian Fein, actually, which is kind of funny because, uh, yeah, that's the guy we we didn't want to have anymore, kind of, it seems, uh, when I, when I saw him playing for, for Hamburg last year. So he's, he's also kind of a tall, tall guy for, for a defensive midfielder, but also not a, what I would call in German, a Schrank, which is a very interesting, uh, word because the English language doesn't lend itself very well to translate this. Because the word schrank, that means either cupboard or, uh, well, wardrobe or closet or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so he's not as big of a guy as maybe Goretzka or Zule or those players, but rather a kind of thin guy. Um, so, uh, he's, he's kind of playing. Well, his positional play is really, really great. I feel I was very, very happy with that because. And he's just giving Kimmich all of the, all of this freedom that he really, really knows how to make the best of because Kimmich can kind of be all over the place if you have that guy back there who's always in the right position, who's always filling those gaps that are inevitably going to be there at times when when Kimmich is on offense. So, yeah, I was kind of as happy with him as I as I could have expected I would be so I'm really really happy with with his performance and not only did I think he played well but he also well kind of the way he inter- interpreted this precision was brilliant I feel and even it's it's a bit it's a bit weird to say that because that Kimmich Goretzka partnership has been so so great in the past but I think on paper this is the even better combination mm-hmm. for Kimmich because It's, it's just, yeah, it it gives him all this freedom and he can do whatever he wants on offense. And yeah, it, it just fits perfectly well. Even if, of course, uh, Roka is not as good a player as Goretzka is yet, of course. So, and obviously this is not meant to criticize, uh, criticize Goretzka at all. Oh, I see that Garrett has come online. Maybe he heard (laughs) me. Maybe he's going to jump in now and, uh, yeah yeah not not be all that nice to me yeah <laughs> right. so
1: yeah really really happy with, with roca there you you know sebastian i'm kind of glad you said that because i didn't want be to the, be the one to bring it up to mention it but you know when you look at the freedom that yosa Kimick has when he's played alongside mark Roka, you do have to think that you know, maybe this, maybe maybe if it's not the better partnership, maybe this is at least an alternative for certain teams. Because um, I love Leon Goretzka, love the way that he plays the game, love the way that he's developed over the past year. However, when he's playing alongside Kimmich, Kimmich kind of has to be the deeper lying kind of playmaker type, and he's not—he doesn't quite have the freedom um, that you would want. Whereas, you know, when he when Kimmich is alongside Mark Rocha, like we saw yesterday. Mark Rocha is going to sit in the hole. He's going to stay deep. He's going to play a very traditional deep lying playmaker role. He's not nearly as athletic as Leon Goretzka, and that's okay because he doesn't try to play the game the same way Leon Goretzka plays. Like you said, he's going to sit deep and kind of be that fulcrum between the the defense and the attack, and allow Yosa Kimmich to just roam the pitch. Uh, and we know Yosa Kimmich is best when he can, you know, drift right. He can. Um, play balls from deep. He can go wherever he wants. And I mean, honestly, uh, yesterday, I think Yosa Kimmich ended up being arguably the best performer on the pitch, one of the best performers on the pitch. But for the first 20 minutes, I was loving what I saw out of Mark Rocha. He, you know, it's kind of one of the most overlooked positions uh, in, in football and in soccer that that midfielder who just gets a short pass and before the ball has even reached him, he knows where he's going to play it and he makes that pass quickly and he just facilitates possession from one person to the other to the other. You always know where he's going to be. He's always that passing outlet uh, and he's going to get overlooked a lot of times and Mark Roca played that position in the first half perfectly yesterday, really opening up uh, the door for Yosa Kimmich to go wherever he wants and um, Sebastian, you know, on paper, I agree it, it does seem like he might um, maybe not be the better partner, but be at least as good of a partner to Yosa Kimmich as Leon Goretzka. Uh, or even so, maybe he would be a, a great partner for Leon Goretzka if, you know, Yosa Kimmich has to move back to right-back. But um, no matter what, I was, you know, I don't want to say I was you know, super or overly impressed because, you know, it's not like he played phenomenally. But no matter what, I think he's someone that I, I for sure want to see more minutes out of. Uh, with, you know... Quentin Taliso having a disappointing season um, you know he's about ready to be to be labeled kind of a, a letdown in my eyes anyway you know everything going on with him at the moment I think that Mark Rocha has to be above him uh, in the pecking order and you know like I said someone that that I want to see i um, getting some significant minutes again sometime very soon uh, Tim what did you think about Mark Rocha you know I've sit here and uh, kind of Talked about how great he was, Sebastian, you know, was impressed as well. What did you think about his game yesterday?
0: Oh, I completely agree. I think he did really, really well. And I I, I go back to um I go back to somebody like Alvaro Odriozola, who was like heavily criticized when he was at Bayern because it was like, Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Why is he looking so rusty? Because he hasn't played football in a year. And that's why. Somebody like Mark Rocker gets like a minute here or there. Gets hard, gets like an hour, and then doesn't play again, and then gets to play like half an hour, and then misses a penalty or whatever his his trajectory at Bayern has been. I think what what you've said about him, you know, not being spectacular, but doing exactly what was expected of him. I think that's kind of enough to show that. If hypothetically he was to play the next game, then the game after that, and the game after that, because I think like so, Gretzka has got um, Goretzka has COVID, and so is out for the next couple of weeks. I think,
1: mm-hmm.
0: think. So that I, I have got no problem with Mark Rocker starting the next game, then the game after that. What I would have a slight problem with is if Goretzka just goes immediately back into the team, and then and then that just kind of like undoes pretty much like all of the hard work that Mark Rocker would have put in to actually get the uh, to get the place locked on anyway i think it's you know i i thought this to myself when i saw the team sheet yesterday it's so frustrating that it's taken this much like third party interference like a global pandemic uh, Taliso getting in um like getting injured and then being i think i, I don't know if we'll talk about this but his um it's kind of like somewhat falling out with the club over him uh, getting his tattoo. Like it shouldn't have taken all of these things for Mark Rocco to get to get valuable minutes, um, but the fact that it did, it it didn't really seem to to bother him. He was like heavily involved in everything. He was looking for passes. He was looking to get into space to receive passes. One thing I really did notice was that he was very good at winning the ball back high up the pitch. So I think he's kind of. He has that sort of fantastic uh, blend of Javi Martinez's ability to cut out a pass and, and win the ball back while also having the sort of dexterity that Leon Goretzka has to be able to move up the pitch uh, kind of seamlessly and, and, and do it very well. He has that agility. I, th- I think he did absolutely brilliantly and I'm I'm really hoping that he can stay that um, he can stay in the team. So I was kind of, I was dubious last season where people were saying like, oh, like we need to get Mark Rocker, we need to get Mark Rocker. And then he was with, um, was he with Espanol that he was with? And he, whoever he was with, he got relegated. And I think I can look at that and be like, oh yeah, this guy's great. This guy's so good with these Twitter experts. And then I see him now and I'm like, okay, well, well, turns out he's actually quite decent. I would love to see more of him. I think what he did yesterday was great. I was disappointed that he got taken off so early. I think after like 65 minutes, maybe. Mm -hmm. I think, as I said a minute ago, he got booked. And um, I I think that's just kind of the law of how that position works. Like you're more susceptible to get booked if your role is to tackle people a lot and stand right in the middle. I think if he didn't get booked, he probably would have played 90 minutes. Um, But with any luck, we'll be able to see that in the coming weeks yeah i'm I'm absolutely thrilled for him.
1: I mean you can also view you know him being taken off as as a sign from Hansi Flick that he wants to use him again in the upcoming games. you know if he's been booked, uh, might as well take him off so that way he's available in the next game, but even on top of that, uh, let's you know, you know no matter you know what situation or you know the what led up to the situation, we are in a spot where he hasn't really played um a full game much this season, so it would be tough to ask him to play a full game and then do the same thing just a week later. And so with Bayern uh, having another game in five days, I think it's—I uh, think we should be expecting to see Makroka in the starting lineup again. And I think uh, think Hansi Flick pulling him out of the game could have been a sign uh, of that. Let's shift away a little bit from our talk uh, about the last few games to talk about some other stuff that's going on um, at the club. And we'll start by looking at two uh, potential loans that really seem as if they're right on the cusp of being completed. And the first one is maybe a little bit surprising, although um, we have had a lot of rumors kind of pointing us in this direction in a while. Uh, Joshua Zerksi is apparently going to be going on loan to Parma, uh, an Italian club, for the rest of the season. All that's not so surprising. What is a bit interesting is that there's a rumored €15 million buy option at the end of the season for the club, Uh, And if they do opt to buy Xerxes at the end of the season, Bayern would get a a, a 7.5% of future sales. We've talked a little bit about Xerxes and his future in in the weeks past, Um, but I really just, you know, one question, is this a good move or a bad move for Bayern Munich? Is it going to work out well in our favor? Are you really disappointed about what's going to happen? And and I'll share my opinion in a second, but I want to start with Sebastian because I feel like... I definitely know what he's going to be saying here.
2: Uh, I, I think uh, I think I obviously know why you're saying that, uh, and I'm kind of negative on this one. The only thing why I'm not totally negative is that I still hope there there are going to be some details uh, that make it more likely that we will be able to keep him ultimately if he plays really well there, which could still could could still happen, of course, right? So maybe there's a there's a buyback clause or anything like that. Uh, what I also, what I also read, I also think this is not quite confirmed is that Parma can only, uh, buy him for 15 million if they stay in the first division. Interesting too. Probably that's something Zerkse is interested in because he's probably not interested in going to Serie B. So maybe this is uh, what that is. So I guess I will reserve my judgment until we actually have the details, but let's for, for, for a minute, uh, Go on the on the hypothesis that they can get him for fifteen million at the end of at the end of the season. Then I think this is not a great idea because I really I really think he needs more time. We should not be ready to give up on him already because I have haven't really seen anything bad from him on the pitch or off the pitch. Of course, there probably are some things going on in training. Okay. Like, let's imagine, maybe he's he's not putting in all the effort in training. Maybe he's gotten a bit lazy. Maybe uh, he thinks he already deserves uh, to play more often because it worked relatively well last season for him. Maybe there's an attitude issue, whatever, right? Even if that's the case, this can change. That's a young guy. Send him to Parma, send him somewhere, let him come back and then see what he's saying. Then talk to him see he's he's going to be somewhat older than he's going to have learned some lessons maybe and then you can have that talk again you can again look what's the situation with him and if he has looked good on that loan well you you're going to find someone to sell him to for 15 million and if not okay but if he's not playing well you're not going getting that 15 million out of parma anyway so i i don't know this is this the thing how how we arranged this right this is maybe giving us one two three maybe five million extra because we set it up the way we set it up right maybe but yeah this is really all we are we're getting out of setting this up the way we have apparently set it up so yeah this is just not enough for me to give up on such a talent who's kind of recognized internationally as a great talent who has looked so great for us in the Bundesliga? Who, who just seemed to me like the ideal, at least, uh, yeah. Well, I would not say the ideal successor to Lewandowski, but like the first person we should try, mm-hmm. uh, maybe make our Lewandowski successor because he is on the squad. He's looking good. I don't buy into what some people say that he doesn't perfectly fit our system. I really don't buy into that. I think that's. Yeah, I think people who say that, yeah, yeah, they they just go from how he's looking on the pitch, his movements, and so on, and not really thinking about this tactic wise. So, yeah, this is what kind of frustrates me about
1: this. I don't know. I, I do kind of sympathize with the camp that you know argues that he's not, maybe not best fit for the Bayern system. Although I also see where you're coming from. I think if anything, he's kind of hindered by the fact that well, Robert Lewandowski, the best striker in the world, is his uh, direct competition at the club. And um, Lewandowski, let's be honest, plays the game in a way that arguably no other striker in the world plays the game. And so I do see where you're coming from, Sebastian. It's a bit unfair to compare anyone to him uh, because not very many players have every you know everything you want in a striker like Robert Lewandowski does. But at the same time, xerxes movement on the pitch is definitely lacking his contribution in the build-up is definitely lacking he's very much a poacher he's a great goal scorer i think he's proven that with the first team already if we need a goal in a clutch moment he's going to get it but at the same time let's let's think about the goals he scored it's been when byron was either down a goal or level and was, was chasing a win had a lot of attacking players on the field going for a goal And pretty much all he's had to do is just get the finish. Now I say all that, all he's had to do as if it's something super easy, which it's not. Uh, But I like to look at his statistics with the second team uh, because he's played uh, phenomenally with the under 17s and the under 19s. But his time with the second team in the three Liga have been uh, a little bit disappointing to say the least. I think he's played, um, let's see, I have the stats right here. He's played 20 games, right, for the Bayern second team. And he's only scored two goals, uh, five assists, but two goals for a striker, two goals for someone who's supposed to be this, you know, really good goal scorer is a little bit disappointing, um, especially someone who, you know, showed that he at least has the potential to do it at the Bundesliga. And then I also come back to the, you know, the argument I've brought up before. If he was showing in training that he was good enough to play for the first team, at least according, you know, in, in, in the mind of Hansi Flick, then we never would have bought Chupa Moteng. We would be seeing uh, Joshua Zerksy getting some minutes to replace Robert Lewandowski on the pitch. If he was important enough to uh, Hasan Salihamidzic, and if he was important enough to Hansi Flick, either one, there's no shot we would be even discussing him leaving permanently for another club. But there's obviously some sort of disconnect between what we've seen as the fans and what other people at the club are seeing that are, you know, making them think, okay, if we part ways for him for 15 million euros which you know in Bayern terms may not be a whole lot but in the grand scheme of things is a decent chunk of money uh if we lose him for that much money it really wouldn't be um so bad and so I I guess for me it just comes down to I, I trust the club I trust Braco I trust Hansi Flick I think that um until you know either of them show that they're not worthy to be trusted I think I think we can for now and um I think if they're saying Xerxes can go for fifteen million euros, I'm not gonna to be too upset about it uh, Tim again, interested to hear your thoughts on 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 the debate here
0: yeah, I very much agree with with both of you. I think fifteen million isn't isn't a huge amount of money um I think it could even be less i, I don't think Palmer are likely to stay uh in the in the first division in in Italy, so I think like from a financial point of view. It doesn't really seem to be – that kind of goes along with that argument that I've been making for a while of and kind of really undersell a lot of players. I, I, I think I've seen rumours that um, Thiago to Liverpool was only about like 5 million, um, like at least to start off with. And then like Bernat to PSG was just, like nothing, but like, whatever, it doesn't really matter anymore. Um, mm-hmm. As for as for Zexy, I think from a sporting point of view, I'm, I, I lean slightly towards the side of the fence that, that you're on, Ben. I think that that whole concept of you know if he was good enough, if he was good enough to just be an option off of the bench, then Chuba wouldn't be there. Because like if you if you buy buying somebody as a free agent isn't you know it may, it may seem like the cheapest option but there's a lot that comes with it because you have to pay signing fees like directly to the player like almost immediately and so surely if this guy has scored was it he scored like four Bundesliga goals in 12 appearances mm-hmm. i think like 12 15 appearances so in terms of that ratio that is fantastic but obviously that's really only looking at like one statistic like goals in appearances which like is is fine cuz you know, that's kind of predominantly the situation that Xerxes is going to find himself in at Bayern of coming off of the bench. And, you know, if he, if he scores a goal in 10 minutes and that puts his like minutes to goal ratio, like that's, that's really good. And and it looks fantastic, but I do keep coming up, coming back to that argument of, but why, like, why did we get a two promoting If that was the case, I, I personally don't, don't know. I've, I've seen him play a few times. I've seen him play um, for for Bayern. I, I've seen him play for the second team um, once or twice, actually. And he looks to be quite static, in the same way that Lewandowski was a couple of seasons ago, back when I was quite critical of him. The difference there is that Lewandowski was in his twenties; Zerksy's still only nineteen, I think. I wish I was confident with some of these numbers. I wish I could. <laughs> I wish I knew what I was talking about here. So obviously, one of those guys has a much greater period of time ahead of them to improve and to learn and to adapt, etc. So I don't know. There is every chance that Xerxes could give his um, could come back and maybe playing against Italian defences that's going to help him quite a lot in terms of like positioning and like ability to like fight for the ball and, and pressing and like working off of the ball. Potentially, this could be quite good. I think the fact that Bayern were willing to—and this sounds like quite a menial uh, change—but the fact that Bayern were willing to give him like a new shirt number, like a low shirt number of fourteen, which has like quite a good reputation for Bayern. Admittedly, Juan Bernat is in that is in that camp as well, as so he used to wear the number fourteen. But you get guys like Perisic was a great was a great servant, Claudio Pizarro, Shabby Alonso. Like this is this is a a sign that Bayern were willing to kind of you know offer him something more, like. A sense of, like, don't worry, you have your place here. I think like him going on loan is a good move, but with the option to buy, if it's an option, that's fine. And if if Sebastian's right, and it is just a matter of, you know, they get the option if they stay in the first division, then I think, I don't know. I, I think there's there's certainly pluses and minuses to to both sides.
1: And you can you can't determine which side you want to lean lean more to or the other. Absolutely not. That is not what I'm here for. But <laughs> <laughs> that's totally that's totally fine. I think there is there's another loan move that that's uh, probably going to be going through soon as well. And I think that we could probably um, we should all be in agreement on this. And that's Chris Richards uh, is more than likely going to be heading on a six month loan to Hoffenheim, where he'll stay till the end of the season. Uh, no buyout clause or no you know purchase clause, as far as I've seen. Nothing tricky thrown in there, just a six-month loan to Hoffenheim. Um, you know, might I add a club that we've had success with in the past when it comes to loaning loaning players out. Uh surely, Sebastian, only positives on this one.
2: Yeah, really only positives there. It's the right club, it's probably the right time for him. It's the right manager there, uh with Sebastian Hearners. So Yeah, you can't can't really go wrong that much, right? So I expect him to get some playing time there. And when he's going to come back, he's probably just going to have learned some things. Uh, best case is he's going to be a starter for them at, towards the end of uh, towards the end of the season. I really don't think we can lose anything on this one. Uh, since we kind of, even if we're not exactly happy with all of our center backs and right backs, it's really not a numbers thing. So mm-hmm. if, if he's not going to be the guy we want to play now at center back or at right back, yeah, that's really nothing we're losing.
1: Yeah, Tim, you talked about wanting to see him at, at right back uh, earlier in this podcast, but uh, with him going to Hoffenheim, is that something that you're really upset about Are you, you know, in agreement, it's definitely for the best?
0: I think given Hansi Flick's rotation policy, it was kind of indicative that we were unlikely to see him at right back. I know that he is a centre-back, but he's, you know, capable of playing kind of a both full-back I think he played left back in the Champions League as well. So I, I would like to see him as an option, but I know... At this stage, you know, buy and have Benjamin Pavard as the number one. Nicholas Sula is the number two, I guess. Bunasar, whose birthday it is today, I've just seen, um, uh, uh, I guess as the number three, potentially. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't really look like that Chris Richards is likely to be getting uh, many, if any, first team minutes for the rest of the season. So, in that sense, Hoffenheim's a great place for him to go. Because um, as as you both uh, suggested, we've got a lot of success with um, with like, plays uh too often. I think, like if he can turn out anywhere near as good as Serge Nabri's turned out, I think that's going to be a huge positive. Yeah, this one, this one is slightly more cut and dry than um, than Xerxes. I think this can this can really only be a good thing.
1: Yeah, I, I would I would definitely uh, definitely agree. I know I have in the notes that you know we could talk a little bit about Dio Upamakano and. Um, you know, what's going on with him. Uh, but we've talked about him a, a bit in the past few episodes, and I do imagine we'll be um, kind of, have, have, we'll have more time to talk about him in the coming weeks because I don't see his future being wrapped up anytime soon. But uh, for the listeners, suffice it to say, uh, Hassan Sali and also uh, Uba Makano's agent and also RB Leipzig's CEO have all confirmed that Bayern are very interested in Uba Makano and have been meeting with his agent. Uh, and so you can read into that what you will. As the optimist, I want to say it's looking positive that Bayern will sign Aubamecano. Uh But like I said, I have a feeling it'll be um, a good, maybe not a whole uh, a good while, but it may be a little bit before we hear uh, something positive about his future. Uh, at the same time, this is also sort of the way that the Lucas Hernandez transfer panned out a couple uh, seasons ago. So, um, you know, just hopefully we see something confirmed There soon. But that is all the time that we have for this episode. If you've enjoyed listening, or if you are a regular fan of the podcast and you haven't done this already, please do us a favor and leave us a five star review. We would greatly appreciate that. If you want to get in touch with us, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can email us at superbyronpod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at superbyronpod and reach out to us there. All of our episodes can be found on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're probably going to be there. Thank you for listening. Go out and tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next time.